Genesis chapter 24. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant of his, in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of Canaan, among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's house and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from your oath to me. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels loaded with all kinds of good things for his master. He set out from Aram Niam and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward the evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have chosen for my servant Isaac, for your servant Isaac. But this I will know, by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he'd finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. 
So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the Tamils had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becker and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room at your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milchah, bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed his head and worshipped God, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness from my master. As for me, the Lord has led me to the, on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Then over to verse 59. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates, the cities of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her attendants got ready, mounted the camels, and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. Now Beth, uh, uh, Isaac had come from Beth Laharoi, for he was living in the Negev. He went out into the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is this man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. She took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all that he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebecca. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Thank you, Rick. It's a bit of an epic, isn't it? Nice to have you guys here. Uh, I wonder what you think about the future. Uh, What do you think the world's going to be like in, I don't know, 30 years, 50 years, 80 years? Uh, it's, It's weird, isn't it? I think of little Ella. We just baptized her this morning, only six months old. She's got... Uh, she's got every chance of being here until the 2100s, when you think about it. It's kind of freaky, isn't it? Uh, I wonder what sort of things she's going to see in her lifetime. Uh, I don't know, flying cars, hyperloops, who knows? Uh, and lots of people like trying to predict the future, don't they? I, um, I was watching a video on YouTube this week. I quite like watching uh, random videos on YouTube. Uh, and this one's been popular. It was a video all about trying to predict what, what's going to happen in the world in the next few years, except uh, the video was from 2019. And can I say, it got it totally, totally wrong. There was one big thing it missed out on. Uh, I think that's the reason it's been popular at the moment, people going back and just laughing about it. Uh, Another example, you might have uh, seen this in the advertiser this week. 
there were these predictions of how sea level rises might affect us by uh, 2100. And it had uh, all these pictures kind of simulating what might happen. Uh, Here's how it was looking uh, up in the north part of the city around Port Adelaide. Uh, If you're a fan of the Port Footy team, you'll be pleased to know that Albert and Oval is okay. Uh, But tragically, it does look like Pirate Life Brewery might be uh, underwater by 2100. Uh, And down, this is down south, a bit closer to us. It's not too bad unless you've got a really nice uh, sea view kind of house. Uh, But it is kind of scary to think think about this stuff, isn't it? To, To imagine that this might be some of the dramatic stuff that little Ella has to see in her life and deal with. Uh, And there are lots of people in our world today who are actually quite worried about the future. Uh, You know, particularly younger people who are worried about some of the brokenness they're going to have to face, uh, which I think is pretty understandable. Uh, You even get lots of people today who are worried about how the world's going. And so they decide they're not going to have kids because they don't want to subject kids to the brokenness that they're going to see over the next 80, 100 years or whatever it is. Obviously, Annika and I don't quite agree with that uh, way of thinking. Uh, But as you think about the future... And about the next generation, how do you think things are going to go? Well, here at Trinity, we've spent uh, a lot of time this year thinking about the book of Genesis. Uh, Speaking about the future, Genesis is um, set a long way in the ancient past, about 4,000 years ago. Uh, It's the very first book of the Bible. Uh, And this is our 14th Sunday this year in Genesis. So we've spent quite a bit of time. Uh, We've made our way to the halfway point in the book. Uh, Today, we are going to finish our series in Genesis for now. Uh, hopefully come back to the rest of the book next year. But we're coming also to the end of kind of the second major section in the book of Genesis. And we're coming to the end of a generation. We've been following a guy called Abraham. He's been trying to trust God and God's promises. And he's not always done well, but uh, we've been learning a lot about trust. What it looks like to trust God and why it's worth trusting God. And today we're right at the end of Abraham's life. He's very old, as our passage tells us. And he's wondering about the future. He's wondering what life is going to be like for the next generation. What sort of challenges they're going to face. Abraham has managed to trust in God and trust in God's promises. And God has stayed true to those promises. But what about into the future? Is God going to be faithful to the next generation? What's going to happen? And the story that we've just read out, it's sort of a random kind of matchmaking sort of story, isn't it? Camels and hands under thighs and um, a few strange sort of things. But uh, the story that we've just read out is very much a transition. The focus has been on Abraham. Now the focus is changing. It's time to look ahead to the next generation. It's time to think about the future. Time to think about Isaac, uh, Abraham's son. I don't know, the whole story kind of seems a little bit random. We'll get into some of the details uh, of the story in a minute. But Right from the start, I want to say that the story this morning is making an important point. Uh, The story is making the point that God's faithfulness will continue to the next generation. God's promises are not going to stop with Abraham. They're going to continue forward. And the proof of that is Rebecca, the woman that Isaac is going to marry. Let me... um, Let me give you an outline then of uh, what we're going to do today, how we're going to approach the story. Uh, We always put our outlines up on the Sunday Hub as well, if it's helpful to have these points in front of you. But uh, three simple points. First, I just want to get into the story, think about some of the detail, uh, try and make sense of it. That's point one, a strange love story. Uh, Then we're going to do two things. We're going to think about the point of all this, what it has to say about God's promises to Abraham. And then we're going to finish uh, by talking about what this has to say about God's promises to us today. Okay, so pretty simple, the story... God's promises and Abraham, God's promises and us. Uh, What this has to say about God's promises and us. Because 
actually what this passage is going to show us is that if Abraham was able to trust that God's promises were going to continue into the future, uh, well, it gives us reason to trust God's promises as we think about the future too. Okay, so first point, a strange love story. We've had this story read out for us. I don't know if you picked up exactly what uh, was going on and all the different details, and there are a few weird bits in there. So uh, but it's, I just want to go through it again. This time we're going to ask a few questions as we go through. We're, we're going to have it on the screen as well. Uh, it starts off like this. Abraham was very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. Right back at the start of Abraham's story, uh, 12 chapters ago, God had promised Abraham blessing. And you can see as Abraham's getting to the end of his life, God has been true to that promise. He's, he's blessed Abraham. Uh, and part of that promise as well was that Abraham was going to have descendants, children, which is why what happens next is really important. Abraham said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among who I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for Isaac. Abraham has been promised descendants. He only had one son, Isaac, who was a, who was a bachelor. And so Abraham knows that Isaac's got to have kids. He needs a wife. I don't know if Isaac's been struggling with the ladies. I, I don't know. But Abraham's ready to move things along, kind of, you know, get involved and start pushing his son. You know, tells his servant, just go find a wife. Go find someone. You know, time to do some matchmaking. Oh, actually, there's a little bit more here as well, isn't there? Um, the hand under the thigh stuff and the swearing of the oath. It shows that it's all quite serious. It's all quite important. And particularly, the servant is, is told to swear, do not get a wife from among the daughters of the Canaanites. Don't get one of these local girls. Go back to my own country. Swear to me that you'll get a girl from back there. Which um, you might be wondering is, what's Abraham doing? Does he not like the local population? Uh, there is a bit of a backstory to this. Abraham was originally from the east, from uh, what was called Mesopotamia, kind of modern-day Iraq, uh, Babylon, that part of the world. Uh, but at the start of his story, he had left that part of the world. He'd come to Canaan, which is Israel, Palestine, that part of the world. Uh, and he came because God wanted to use him to build a new people. Uh, and it's not just a people, it's a new people. This is not Abraham moving to Canaan to sort of become a Canaanite and join in with them. It's, it's Abraham coming to Canaan to build a new people. Uh, and part of that is because in the Bible, uh, the Canaanites are often seen as quite wicked people. Uh, there's lots of pagan religion, there's child sacrifice. Uh, and it's a big thing right through the Old Testament for God's people to keep separate from the Canaanites. Not intermarrying, not joining in with their customs, not joining in with their religions. Marrying people who also belong to God. That's what Abraham wants for Isaac, marry one of his own people. So he makes the servant uh, make this promise. In verse 5, the servant asked him, What if this woman is unwilling to come back with me to the land? Shall I take your son back to the country that you came from? And Abraham says, Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, To your offspring I'll give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife uh, for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you'll be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the fire of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Uh, two big things here. Uh, the first was that Isaac uh, was to marry one of his own people. He wasn't to marry a Canaanite. The second is that Isaac's not to go back to his home country. So don't take him back there. He can't even go back, even for a little trip, to meet a woman. 
And again, both these things are about the promises of God. God's trying to build a new people. So Isaac can't start intermarrying with the Canaanites. But this new people is going to live in this land. It's going to, they're going to live in the land of Canaan. Isaac can't go back to Mesopotamia. He might get tempted to stay there forever. This people has to stay in the land of Canaan. God's trying to build a new people in this new land. So it's both of those things. They're both to do with God's promises. And so the servant has clear instructions. Find a woman from Abraham's homeland. Don't take Isaac back to the homeland. And if God's going to be faithful to what he's promised, if, if these promises are going to continue into the future and into the next generation then things should go well. So, servant's off on his mission. He's got his clear instructions. Verse 10, Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out from Aram and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down uh, near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the woman go out to draw water. Uh, then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today. Uh, a prayer that I'm sure many have prayed when they're heading out to try and find a romantic partner. Uh, And then verse 13, see, I'm standing beside this spring. He comes up with this little scenario. Uh, The daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. And he says, may it be when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. If she says, drink and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one that you've chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. This is how God's going to show that he's going to be faithful. The servant wants to know who the right girl is, and so he sets up this little test. Now, a quick little aside, you might be wondering if this sort of little test is a good way to, to go about things, a good way to maybe, you know, try and find a spouse. Uh, perhaps you go to the pub and you say, um, uh, I don't know, the one, if I, if I ask someone for a drink, the, the one who not only gives me a glass of wine, but a whole bottle, uh, maybe that's the one that is for me, Lord. Uh, is the Bible saying this is a good model for how we should act? Well, uh, if, if you try something like this, please do let me know. But uh, <laughs> look, I think the important thing to remember is that this isn't just a normal, everyday kind of situation. This is a specific situation. God's made a specific promise. Uh, God has specifically promised children through Isaac. Uh, And so this is a unique point where we're seeing whether or not God is going to be faithful to what he's already said that he will do, whether God's going to come through, whether his promises are going to continue into the future. And it's a little bit tense. You're wondering, you know, is there going to be someone for Isaac? Is God going to come through with his promises? And in verse 15, we see that he does. Before he'd finished praying, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar and came up again. Then the servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. Are you holding your breath? What's going to happen? The story's slowing down. Is this the one? Is she going to get some water for the camels too? Verse 19, after she had given him a drink, him a drink she said, I'll draw water for your camels too. Yes, until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. The question was whether or not God is going to be, continue to be faithful to his promises. Here's the proof that he is. Rebecca, she's perfect, isn't she? She's the perfect woman, really. Uh, perfect for Isaac, I should say. Anyway, she, she comes along at the perfect time. She's a relative, which is pretty gross. Uh, but Abraham needed one of his own people. Uh, 
Verse 16, she's beautiful, she's a virgin, she's single, she's unmarried. Uh, she ticks all the boxes. Even more importantly, she's good with camels. I mean, what more could you want? And actually, she's pretty buff too. I don't know if you noticed, but there were 10 camels. And uh, I don't know a lot about camels, but I'm pretty sure they drink a fair bit of water uh, to carry that much water out of the well into the, into the trough. Uh, I can imagine the servant just sitting there watching for about half an hour as she uh, watered all the camels. Rebecca is the perfect wife for Isaac. Uh, and even more importantly, she's a, clear, it's, she's a clear sign that God is going to continue to be faithful to his promises. She's the proof. God is going to continue to be faithful to the next generation into the future. Well, I think that's about the guts of our story. I know, sorry, we didn't have time to read out the whole chapter. If we were to uh, read the rest of it, we'd see uh, there's quite a bit of repetition. The servant goes to Rebecca's family, tells the whole family the story again. They kind of understand that God's doing something amazing and there's some back and forth, some negotiation, and then eventually Rebecca goes back and, as we did read, uh, Rebecca and Isaac are happily married. Uh, But let's uh, now come back to our outline. Uh, we've, we've had a think about the strange kind of love story. Uh, and there are two more things that I want us to think about now. So uh, point two and three, these will be a little bit quicker. Uh, first of all, God's promises and Abraham. Let's just for one last time pause. Uh, let's think about Abraham. Let's try and put, in, put ourselves in his shoes. Uh, at Trinity, we've been looking at Abraham for a couple of months now. So uh, we've had a good overview of his life. He's lived an extraordinary life. Uh, God's come into his life in remarkable ways, made all sorts of promises to him. Uh, and he's been trying to trust those promises. He's got some, you know, pretty, pretty monumental failures uh, in his story as well, can I say. Uh, but what I find interesting is that as we come to the end of Abraham's life, as things move into a new generation, what's interesting is, in this story, actually God doesn't say a word. God doesn't say anything in this story. Abraham has had this life that's been full of encounters with God and God showing up in all sorts of remarkable ways. But here, there's nothing. God is silent. I think it begs the question, how does Abraham kind of seem so in control? How does he know what's going to happen? You know, he sends his servant out. He's so sure that the servant's going to find success. But he hasn't had a special vision or a special word from God or anything like that. How does, how does Abraham know what's going to happen? Well, I think this is the answer. Abraham at the end of his life, shows us the sort of wisdom that comes from a life spent living in God's promises. Abraham, at the end of his life, shows us the sort of wisdom that comes from a life spent living in God's promises. God doesn't say a word in this chapter because he doesn't have to. Abraham knows he's lived his life trusting God. He's failed plenty of times, but he's grown and grown and grown and, and he's heard God's promises. He's dwelt in God's promises, meditated on them. He's seen God come through on what he said that he would do. And as Abraham looks into the future, as he looks to the next generation, he's full of confidence that God will continue to be faithful. And he understands God's promises. He understands that it's not wise for Isaac to go back to his homeland. But he also understands that Isaac can't just get a wife from the Canaanites because neither of these things are going to line up with how God said things were going to be. And so he puts it all together and he he knows that his servant will find success. Or at least, you know, he sits down and as he meditates on God's promises and as he sort of traces out the trajectories on what God's been doing and what, what, what God's promises are, how they've been working out, he sees that this is the wise course of action. He's got his, and he's got his priorities right, doesn't he? He knows how important it is to stick with the promises of God. He takes it very seriously. Well, I, I think we can learn from Abraham this morning. 
Uh, there's been plenty of times in the last few weeks where we've learned from Abraham's bad example. Uh, but here we can learn from Abraham what it looks like to live a life trusting in God's promises. Uh, and the question for us is, do we live in God's promises? Do we live in God's promises? Do we take the time to open our Bibles, read about God, God's promises, meditate on them, uh, uh, read about what, what God has done and why he can be trusted? Do we make it a priority to get to church and, and hear about God's promises as you're encouraged by others? I, I think the question is, do we want to be like Abraham was at the end of his life, with the wisdom to make good decisions, with the ability to get our priorities right, teaching our kids to trust in God's promises, setting things up well for the next generation? And I think if we do want to be like Abraham, well, put it this way, I don't think Abraham gets to that point by making some token effort. I don't think Abraham gets to this sort of high level of wisdom and trust with sort of just a five-minute, you know, ticker box kind of Bible reading every day. He's an example of what happens when you live your life amongst the promises of God. Now, can I say, I was thinking about this this week, and I know we have some great examples of this in our church, people who've uh, followed God faithfully for many years. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but um, you can come ask me afterwards and I'll tell you who I'm thinking of. Uh, I'm sure if you would ask them, uh, they'll agree with this. Trust in God, it doesn't just happen by accident. It doesn't just grow by itself. It doesn't just happen. You, you read God's word, you're encouraged by others, you fail and you repent and you try again and you pray and pray and pray and you ask the hard questions and you reflect on God's promises and the Spirit works in you to grow you in wisdom, to grow you in faith. Strange love story. God's promises and Abraham. Uh, final point then, God's promises and us. We spent a lot of time looking uh, back this morning, looking back at the trust of this guy Abraham from 4,000 years ago. But let's just spend a few minutes as we finish, really asking about why this random ancient story uh, actually matters for us here in 2021. Uh, because, of course, lots of people say that these stories from thousands of years ago, they're just ancient stories, they're just fairy stories, don't really matter, probably didn't happen. Uh, it's all well and good to see why the guy in the story trusted God, but what if... Uh, What's it got to do with me here uh, thousands of years later? Well, of course, we all have to make our own decisions about this sort of stuff. But the first thing I would point out is that we've heard this story of God promising amazing things to Abraham 4,000 years ago. We've seen that the promises weren't going to stop with Abraham. They were going to continue through the generations. And what I would say is, as we look back through history, we can actually see that that has happened. Our people did come from Abraham. Now, today around the world, billions of people claim Abraham as their forefather, the Jewish nation. Uh, they, they, they came from Abraham. They did get the land that God had promised them. They were blessed. And ultimately, through Abraham's descendants, came Jesus. And ever since Jesus came a couple of thousand years ago, millions and millions, in fact, billions of people have felt that their lives have been blessed through him. The promise of blessing, the promise of descendants, the promise of Abraham's descendants being a blessing to the world uh, is very much played out in real history. If the story of Abraham is just a legend, well, you have to at least admit that it's remarkable how God's promises have played out how he said that they would. And I think this means that we can still trust that God will be faithful to his promises today. What are God's promises today? Well, God has made great promises for those who follow Jesus. He's promised forgiveness He's promised to build a people, the church, a people that we get to be part of. He's promised eternal life in his new creation. 
I asked at the start what you think about the future, what you think is going to happen. I, I don't know what the future is going to hold. I don't know if Port Adelaide is going to end up underwater or not. Uh, I don't know if the world's going to get more and more broken over the next 100 years. But what I can say is that we can have confidence to stick with the promises of God. We can have confidence to stick with the promises of God because his promises will continue. He will continue to be faithful. What does it mean to stick with God's promises? Well, it's about trusting him. And it's a practical thing. You know, trusting God's promises has practical implications. It had practical implications for Abraham. You know, he didn't send Isaac back to his homeland because he understood that if he did that, Isaac might be tempted to walk away from the promises. And he cared about who Isaac married. And so trusting God today should have practical implications for us too. There are similar things. Things like, you know, do we make church a low priority and then get surprised when our kids are more interested in belonging to their social group than belonging to God's people? Do we go for relationships that don't point us to Jesus and then get surprised when our trust in God wavers? Do we base a lot of our self-worth on the idea that everyone thinks we're a really good person and then if we get, get surprised when we struggle to trust in God's promise of forgiveness when we fail? We need to have confidence to stick with the promises of God and that shows up in these practical decisions that we make every day. As you know, we baptised Ella this morning. Uh, it's been a great morning. I don't know what sort of things she's going to come across in her life, especially if she is around till uh, the 2100s. But the reason we baptise Ella is because that we know that she belongs to God. And we want to take these practical steps to live in God's promises with her. She'll have to make her own decisions as she grows older, of course. But we hope and pray that she'll stick with the promises of God. Because we know that God is faithful both now and into the future. How about I pray for us? Dear God, we thank you for this story that we've looked at today. Uh, We thank you for our time looking at Abraham these past couple of months. Uh, We thank you for all we've been taught about what it means to trust you. We thank you for your promises and thank you that your promises continue generation after generation. And we pray this morning, grow our trust in you. Help us to know your promises, meditate on them. Help, help them to seep into our lives and help us to make practical decisions to prioritize your promises. Help us, Father, to stick with your promises because we know that you're faithful. Amen.